Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Great Story Podcast. Thank you for joining in on this episode, a special mailbag episode that I know you're not going to want to miss. Now, I want to thank each of you for listening. I'm going to tell you about the people we have with us here in just a moment to uh, to help answer these questions. There are a couple familiar faces, but before we do that, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining in. If you enjoy this episode or you enjoy Gray Story Podcast and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media. Uh, leave a rating, a review on whatever uh, uh, platform you or app that you use to listen. To catch all the latest from Grace Story Podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Grace Story Podcast. Uh, if you can remember the name, you can just find us on there. We're also on Facebook, so go over there and search Grace Story Podcast. Lots being posted there. Uh, lots of great resources, quotes, uh, shares, things you won't want to miss. If you're not a part of our Grace Story community, it's a closed group over on Facebook. Simply go to groups on Facebook and search for Grace Story, all one word community, uh, there's a couple questions you have to answer and you can jump right in. Um, now, if you would like to, this is a mailbag episode. We're having a lot of questions that have been set in. Uh, if you want to, after this, have your question answered on a future mailbag episode, you can send in your question to nate at graystoryministries.com and we will uh, try to get that on the next mailbag episode. Now, it's it's uh, something we keep anonymous. We don't put your name out there un unless you specifically say that you want it to be. Um, but um, yeah, you can send that to nate at graystoryministries.com. Last thing, if you want to be a part uh, in a tangible way of supporting the ministry, you can text Grace Story, all one word, to 44321. That's Grace Story, all one word, to 44321, and that'll pop up a page for you to go ahead and send in your tax-deductible donation uh, for the ministry, and it goes directly to impacting people on their journey of restoration. Okay, we got all that out of the way. That's the housekeeping stuff, and I have a couple familiar faces with me uh, to answer your questions that you've sent in to the podcast. Uh, we have Ryan Waters. He's no stranger to the podcast. He is a licensed professional counselor working out of Cincinnati, Ohio with uh, Christian Counseling Alliance. And then there's Amber Jones. She is the president and founder of Grace Story Ministries, uh, which is this podcast is, a, is an extension of that ministry. So we're really excited to have both of them on to help address your, your questions from both the licensed counselor and the field expert uh, uh, level. So Ryan, Amber, how you doing? Great. It is so good to be here today. Wonderful, Nate. I always love connecting with our listeners. Awesome. And I love having you guys here. It's always great to have you on the podcast uh, episodes. But what you didn't know is while there are questions coming in from everybody about their lives, I had a couple questions just to ask you guys um, to to start out the show. You did not get prepped for this. So, uh, Amber, I have a question for you. And Ryan, there's a different question for you. They're not too, too complicated. So just, you know, blurt out what the answer is. Uh, Amber, what was the last thing you Googled before the show? This is unfair. I feel like you set me up for this question. <laughs> um, so Nate was playing music that he peps himself up with. And what was the song? Sham, Shamrama, whatever. It was Shamarama. <laughs> Yes, this is awful. This is the last thing I Googled. <laughs> if you like to talk to tomatoes, hip hop version. So, um, so there's that, there's that, that you are such a little brother right now. <laughs> so whoever at Homeland Security is assigned to you as a citizen to monitor you is really confused <laughs> by Very your confused. Google search. Okay. 40 acre country girl looking up sham wow. So that's yes. awesome. You sound <laughs> like kidding. you're in your 40s. Uh, okay, hey Ryan, here's one for you. If you were I'm going nervous. to if you were going to write a book, what would it be about? Ooh. And when can we expect it to be released? <laughs> I feel like we need the prices right music behind this. Like, da, da, yeah, exactly. Da, da, da. Uh, never actually considered writing a book, so I haven't put any thought into this. If yeah, I were right. to write one, it would probably <laughs> It would probably be, um, oh, probably something that integrates 
theology and psychology or deals with the issue of scrupulosity in psychology. I'm going to now Google that word. That (laughs) will be my next Google search. (laughs) So yeah, let's just recap Um, from Ryan's scrupulosity from Amber Shamwell or Shamarema. I don't I get I don't even know how to say it right, but yeah, <laughs> what a great way to contrast and start the show. Uh, as I feel you, like we need to turn the question on you, Nate, though, because you are part of this conversation. But you didn't prepare. I would just like, like Ryan. What's a good question? I mean, we need to know something from. What was the last thing you drank? I think anybody who's been to conference would know mm. the answer to this question. What color yeah. is the can? of the last thing that Nate drank before starting this show. What color is the can? We cannot that it say. Is in your hand? It, it, it is. It does happen to be a monster energy drink. And I'm going to get emails just about that, about alternatives. And I understand I can quit whenever I want. Um, it's just, it's, it's available to me. Um, nice segue into the uh, questions on addiction. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. Well, and you're, you're right. It is a good segue to go to the other questions. Uh, so we're not the ones uh, with our feet to the fire here. But honestly, there's a ton. Of, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Um, some of these. So here, here's, here's a great one to start off on. Um, the writer of this question says, how do you write a letter to toxic or abusive parents? How do you make them understand? How do you help them? Yeah. When I saw this question, I thought back to really some of what started my journey and, um, really ultimately maybe led into where we are today with Grace Story. And that was with a counselor that asked me to write a letter to my dad with the intent of never giving it to him, just to get it out. And so I did that, and my dad and I have shared this story before at men's retreats and and family camps, things like that. Um, But writing this letter that where I felt like I really hadn't even begun to scratch the surface or say anything, and he says from his end, he felt like I had gone out into one of my cornfields back here and yelled the letter to him. And so I think sometimes we don't understand how much emotion does come through when we tell parts of our story that are unprocessed and and unhealed. And so that is one of the cautions. I know this wasn't specifically part of the question, but that is one of the cautions that I like to tell people when you're sharing your story that has been unprocessed. Sometimes you don't really understand how much you're sharing. Um, And so to to do that within safe community. Um, To write a letter, though, maybe to start there. Ryan, I'm sure you'll be able to speak to this. Um, But then the other thing I wanted to say about that was the very last question, the third part of that, how do you help them? I think that goes into the codependence area. You're not writing this letter to help them. You, you, You do this journey for you because you cannot do somebody else's journey for them. Well, on that note, and I don't want to switch it over to you, Ryan, with this, there's some, uh, that question, how do you make them understand? Uh, I I don't think you can really force them to understand. That's that's Mm -hmm. not your responsibility. Um, Would you agree? I would. And my thought went to, and I can't remember the name of the press secretary for the former, one of the former presidents said this. uh, She was trying to explain something to the press and she said, I can explain it to you. I can't understand it for you. And there is a fine distinction there. Like the best you can do is put it in words that the other person can understand and then just rest. Because if you take responsibility for the understanding piece, then you're crossing the line, crossing your side of the street and taking responsibility for something that you have no control over. I think that goes even to the um, the most recent episode or one of the recent episodes that you did with Cesar Perez, where he said he has learned to introduce God to the students and not try to force them to understand it. I forget the other word that he used specifically, but um, instead of taking the responsibility of the Holy Spirit, uh, trust him to do his work. So you can introduce it, but you don't have to enforce it. Something like that, I think he said. The word he used, I think, was you don't have to enlighten them, which I yeah. think yes. I think we do yes. sometimes. Well, let me enlighten you. Um, <laughs> that's not our job. It's just an introduction. But So we kind of answered the second part of this, but let's bring it back, and I'm going to shoot this over to you, Ryan. Uh, maybe the t- uh, like uh, three steps for getting, mm-hmm. uh, if you need more or less, but how do you write a letter to toxic or abusive parents? 
Yeah, I would tease out some of Amber's experience here. She kind of began by having a support system. She had a counselor who was in her corner and could give her good feedback on this. And so you need people in your corner. The one thing I would clarify is it's really helpful to have people who are in your corner who aren't just yes men or women who are going to say yes to whatever you write. Because you need people who are going to help you. Uh, this may be a strong word, but we're, we're supposed to live accountable lives. And so you need people who can actually speak truth to you, even as you write this very difficult letter. So have strong people in your corner who can speak truth to you. Two, uh, get it all out there with the intent that they're not going to see everything. But it's important for your own journey just to identify what really is inside of you. And actually, let me put in one more step in between those, which is, I think, pretty critical. Identify why you're writing the letter. Like, what are the goals? Is this really for you? Is it, is it to kind of control or change them, change their behavior? Those are two very different outcomes, and the letter is going to look very different. Uh, if you, one other piece, if you're going to put boundaries in that letter, know what those are in advance so that you can be intentional about weaving them into the document. So with that, with those th few pieces, write it all out. Just be clear, worry about editing later, just get it out there in the page and then take that to your support system and work through it with them. Let them give you some outside feedback on what's going to be helpful or unhelpful. I think what you just said there, the last part is is key because for some of us, and I won't mention my name, uh, with anything we do, we want it to be perfect. We like in mm -hmm. one and done, but I'm going to take my time with it, which actually mm -hmm. keeps some people from doing things at all. So I think it's important to go ahead and let yourself know, just get it out there in its unfiltered uh, form, and then I can yeah. go from there um, and and highlight or reword things, move it around after speaking with a mentor or a counselor. Amber, did you have something else? Yeah, I was just going to add um, the other caution that I like to give to people because people do know that this is somewhat how we started. I started the conversation with my parents that there was stuff that I needed to go back and, and take a look at. But this is really difficult. I've had teens reach out and want to know how to write this to their parents while they're still living at home. And I always caution that that is not the right time because. Um, and that's just my, I mean, again, you have, you need your support system around you to be able to speak into that for your situation, but it is a really hard thing to confront an authority structure while you're still under, directly under their authority. Now, while we always have to honor our parents, even while we're processing, that's another question for another time, but as you're still living at home, you still are under their direct authority. So just, just being, um, definitely still need to get help. Not saying don't reach out, but um, Ryan, you might be able to speak to that a little bit as well, but just to, to be cautious about that. Definitely. I would 100% agree with that. And I would also expand it to, are there other uh, contributing factors that may make this not the wisest time? Are there financial constraints? Are they covering financial things, even if you're outside the home, that are going to be directly impacted if they pull away from this relationship? And that's why you need some wise outside perspective to give you some guidance on, is this the right time uh, to send this letter or is this largely just a letter for me and my own healing journey? Yeah, because what we're not saying to not be true to yourself and not be true to your journey, not to lean in the process. That is not what we're saying here. What we're saying is to be wise about the process. And there is a certain timeline for doing things that um, certain parts of your processing. So this is not a, if you don't write this letter to your parents, you cannot process childhood trauma. So there are lots and lots of ways that you can still process even as a teenager living in the home. So yeah, it sounds like it's just, it's one tool of many that may be right for you, but you might need to speak with a licensed professional to find out what is right for you. Because uh, that's, you know, <laughs> right. it's not a one size fits all. One caveat to all these before we move on to the second question that I do want to mention to the listeners. Uh, you know, Great Story Podcast is just starting out, but, but I can tell you the listenership is very broad. So if there's a question that seems like it's your next door neighbor or someone in your family, it's probably not. Um, none of these questions <laughs> have to do with, uh, well, anybody in this group, none of them came from us. Um, 
We're not just making them up. They all came from, right. you know, one of the 38 countries and 49 states where we have uh, been listened in. Um, so, you know, just what, what is that uh, disclaimer they do? The, the events here, yes. <laughs> if they're similar to some of your experiences, um, it's probably it's just a coincidence. OK. All right. So next question. And this one we might have to kind of dissect to to understand where we're going to go with it. But it says, when you would like to be married, and someone says, quote, God knows your heart and your desires, end quote. Does God act according to our desires? <laughs> and whoever, yeah, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a big one. It is. I, I feel like we've been talking about some of this in my Shepherd's Global Classroom Bible studies, and this is just a a shout out to if you have um, have a wrong view of who God is, and sometimes we don't even know that till we start getting started on relearning it, um, or looking if you have significant spiritual trauma. Um, fantastic resource. Uh, follow them; they're on social media. They have their own website as well and free curriculum. Um, but we've been talking about this: Does God act according to our desires? And so that is a great place to start. Sometimes we have to relearn because we've learned this, these verses about, you know, ask and you'll receive. And some of this that actually is more prosperity gospel than biblical gospel. So with specific regard to this question, God knows your heart and your desires. He does. But when we're talking about God giving us the desire of our heart, he's actually talking about if we will seek him, he will give himself to us. Um, and so this isn't actually, this was literally this morning's and this is, this is stuff that gives me a lumpy throat because as I went into class this morning, I asked God, I knew this podcast recording was coming up and I just said, help me to be aware if there's something that you would have for people to hear. So I do believe this question is for somebody today because it was literally this morning that we went over this. God does want to give you the desire of your heart. He does want to give you peace and rest in these things, but it's not a prosperity gospel of if you desire a Porsche, he's going to give you a Porsche. And it's also not a manipulative gospel where if we love God, then we get the Porsche. This is literally running after God with our whole heart and him fulfilling that promise to meet us when we seek him. I love that. And uh, more on getting to know God and having our identity in Christ. If you go to Grace Story podcast episode, I believe it's 31 with Sarah Semenik. Uh, we talk with her. She's a therapist and talk about kind of her journey a little bit, but also what exactly it means to have a healthy personal identity in Christ. And if you don't, can you change your identity and what that looks like in today's culture? A lot of sticky points there too. Um, Ryan, with, uh, with this question, any, anything else to add on God acting according to our desires from a counselor perspective? I just really want to affirm what Amber was saying there, which is the implication there is that you intimately know God and that in that relationship, your desires change to be in accordance with his. And so when it's talking about giving you the desires of your heart, the understanding is there is that you're walking side by side with him and that your desires reflect his. I love that. And that goes to some of what Cesar Perez was talking about. He's like, hey, I'm on the other side of getting so sold out. I think it was episode 30. I'm so sold out to God and I'm having a ton of fun. I think he closed that episode with, I want everybody to have fun with like me following after God. Um, there's maybe, I think Paul might've said that too in, in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but <laughs> all right. So next question, how can you retrain old ways of thinking about self image? That's a tough one. And there's no simple answer to that. When I read that question, the first thing that came to my mind was even growing in your awareness about the ways that you talk to yourself now in the present. And that's one of the things I look for when people come into my office, like give me a kind of fly on the wall view of what a day-to-day self-talk looks like, like a day-to-day -day conversation looks like with self-talk for you. And one of the filters I ask people to look at that through is imagine someone in your life, uh, a child, maybe five, six years old, who you just really adore. You just love them to death. And then think to yourself, are the things I say to myself, the tone of voice I use in my self-talk, 
are they the way that I would talk to that five or six year old that I adore? And if the answer is no, then something's got to shift because we all have that five or six year old inside of us that's listening, that brokenness that sometimes comes up. And so start by growing in your awareness about what you are doing and use that filter, that lens, I should say, to figure out what really needs to be shifted. I like that. And and we, again, the, the episode with Sarah Semenek, uh, episode 31, kind of goes through some of this self-image and how, uh, how we view ourselves and how we view God plays into our identity in Christ. Uh, and it's a great foundation, mm-hmm. a great place to start on your journey of restoration. So here's one. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I have heard that God <clears throat> loves a quiet woman and that it means to be silent. Oh, my. Um, and this is, this is how does God use introvert slash extrovert personality types? Boom. <laughs> Amber, did you, do you me, me and Ryan are going to defer to you on the quiet woman means to be silent part. As long as you uh, start us off on this one. <laughs> yeah. So since I'm kind of like the uh, quiet woman type, that's <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, this was a huge struggle for me for a very long time. In fact, um, in some of my vulnerable moments, this is still what comes up for me because I am not a quiet um, stereotyped submissive woman. And that does not mean I'm not submissive. It has meant that I've had to relearn what does submissive mean. And um, that doesn't, so I think let's start with the stereotype. Stereotype submission means going with the flow, no matter what that is. Um, maybe giving up, like selflessly giving up your identity, who you are, who God has made you to be in order for the good of a husband or an organization. That sounds like something Ryan would call enmeshment, which is not healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that, yes. And that's kind of what we've, the problem is I just never bound down to that. So when I entered married marriage, I, I kind of looked at it like, uh, no, if that's what it is, then I'm clearly not going to be able to meet that. That's also the wrong attitude because that was just me saying, being strong-willed and stubborn, saying I've already, and that was my defensive um, approach. Submission, being a quiet submission, submitted woman, whatever. Um, For me, what I have relearned is God made us each unique. We are all still made in his image. He gave us unique giftings and personality as part of that. So what I am able to do with Grace Story, with confronting um, some of these mistruths that have been in the church and the things that have been covered up and not talked about and bringing those to light through the, the avenue of Grace Story, that has given, been given, um, I've been given the title of disrespectful and um, like the mover and shaker in the wrong way. And some of those things that I, I don't ever intend to be. I've asked God to help me like, well, I, I want to do this with grace and compassion. And, and that is always my, my intention. But I think that there's a little bit of this. Um, if you are willing to speak up and go against the grain, then that is anti-submission. And that I don't believe is what the Bible is talking about there. On that topic of submission, there there is on episode 15 with Rosie McKinney, uh, she talks about submission from a biblical point of view, because I think just this capsulation here, the, there needs to be a lot more conversation around it, because uh, I'm sure someone's listening and they're like, well, there's a caveat there and we need to talk about that. Yes, there's a much bigger conversation. Um, right. Rosie starts that a little bit in her episode on 15. And Rosie is actually going to be uh, talking at conference this year, um, which is in November, Grace Story Conference 2021. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets for that, head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. You can go ahead and get your your ticket for that, your admission squared away. And we're going to be in Cincinnati again. Can't wait for that. But Ryan, I want to shoot over to you on the second part of this um, this question about the personality types. How does God use <clears throat> introverts and extroverts, uh, I guess, in different ways um, in mm-hmm. his kingdom? <clears throat> well, it's funny. I um, Part of my own journey is learning to be comfortable as an introvert because I always felt like I should have been more extroverted 
which is kind of ironic, Amber. You sounds like you had the reverse <laughs> desire. I think the the rule of thumb is we wish, but we are not. And the reality is God is glorified as we are, the way he wired us, introverted or extroverted. And so there have been many times where, especially in my in my field, being introverted uh, has lent itself to being quiet where others may have felt the need to talk. And that's opened up opportunities. Uh, and Amber, I'm sure you could say the opposite is true too. There have been occasions where being quiet would not have been the optimal uh path forward. It would have been uh, much more desirable to have something to speak out in that moment. And I do think God orchestrates our internal lives for the purposes that he's called us to. So in other words, if he's wired you to be more introverted, then that's something that he's going to adapt and use for his purposes and the same for extroverted. So it's not a, a weakness it's intentional. What I have learned to love is that even though it's a strength at times to be extroverted and be willing to confront hard things, it is also an area where God wants to refine. So I don't think we can just say, I'm extroverted, God made me this way, and I was meant to like battery ram through the walls. In fact, right now, um, I've I've alluded this to this in some of my community um sharings like with the videos there in the gray story community but darren and i are, are in a really difficult situation right now and I, my normal kind of instinctual response would be to push back to fight for truth and i feel like in this instance god has asked me he's given me lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 to 26 and i have been meditating on that for months now. And, um, and then the other day I just came back to it again. I heard someone speaking and he said, you know, Lamentations, without even thinking about the fact that I've been, um, focusing on it, I read through chapter three and all of a sudden light bulb moment. I was like, oh my goodness, it's back. But I feel like in this situation, God has asked me to wait quietly on him. So rather than fight for myself, fight for the truth, there are moments where God says, stand still and see see me work. And that verse says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And I think that for me during this season, it is part of my own growth experience, my own healing process that I see that I'm not always having to be strong for myself, strong for the cause, that there are times when God just says, I'm at work, trust me. And so I think he does help refine even the strengths into a softer version. And, and that's what he's doing. I mean, that, this journey of restoration, that's what it's all about, is refining us into his image. Well, I think you're, 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 what, what you're saying there points to two things. One, the need for community and the strengths that God has given to others, the gifts, the personalities. They, they, no one's supposed to be a lone ranger, even though... Uh, an introvert loves being right. alone, I guess, all the time. But uh, it, it points <laughs> to that need for community. But what you're talking about is also a great segue into another question we had sent in, which makes some assumptions here. And I know we've said at various points there is no healing in hiding, but I think they're talking about a different type of hiding here. You know, we talk about mm -hmm. hiding things from people or from God, but they're talking here about hiding uh, in God or having God hide us. And it says, how does God quote, hide us as he works on us in secret? Uh, and they give the example of under his wings. Um, the next part of it says the security of being in his arms and the importance of God working on us in secret. How does God work on us in secret, Ryan? So the first place my mind went when I read this question was an example that I just heard actually in my, in my counseling room. And someone was dealing with some addiction issues and told a story about how uh, they had no idea they were going to face something extremely challenging later that day. And something came up, a, a friend reached out and said, hey, can we connect? Having no idea this event hadn't taken place yet. And said, sure, so let's connect later today. And so there was already a safe place to land for that client before the incident actually occurred that would have been a significant sobriety challenge. And I view that as God working in the life of, of this individual, and he identified it as such as well, to, to hide them, 
to walk the journey of recovery with them, knowing, you know what, this might be a little hard for you to handle at this part of your recovery journey, so I got this covered. I'm going to go ahead of you and and make sure that you have a safe place to land. I love that so much. That is literally where the name Grace Story comes from when we talk about the name of our organization. It is God's grace showing up in our stories. And often it seems we find that his grace is showing up in our stories in Mm -hmm. ways we don't even realize. Yes. Well, it seems like a great uh, reminder not to hide things from God. Not, I mean, he, he knows everything already, but bringing everything that we have, our hurts, our needs, the need for restoration, recognizing that gives God the ability to give us that protection we need, uh, that, that sometimes we, it's just asking for it. Um, here's a short question <laughs> that has a very big open-ended, I don't know how far you want to go on this, except uh, I'll look up a couple of our episodes that deal with this. But Ryan, one more question here for you. How do you build boundaries? Well, in one sentence or less, here's how it works. <laughs> no, I am. Um, it, it is a pretty extensive process, but if you were to summarize a few key things, one, you have to know your boundaries, which starts with identifying them. Where do you need boundaries placed in your life? And I like to use the image of boundaries are the uh, the gate in the, to the backyard of your house, and boundaries say yes, you can come in. No, you have to stay out. Or wait, I need to evaluate this to see if you're a safe person or not. So you have to identify what boundaries need to be in place. Then you have to name them. That means you actually have to speak them out to the person. Hey, this is not okay. You can't come over to my house unannounced. Or it's not okay for you to speak to me or my wife or my kids in this manner. Uh, And then you have to maintain. So no name and maintain. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Usually people are, not always, but maybe maybe I'll use the word commonly, people get very upset when you put boundaries in place with them. And it's because you're redefining what the dynamics of the relationship look like. But your ability to maintain, say, I understand you're frustrated and angry right now, but this is what I need to feel safe. And this is going to be a requirement if if we're going to continue walking this journey together. We need to know where I start and you stop. And then you maintain that until uh, either you both mutually agree to redefine that boundary because safety, they've proven over time that they're safe people. Um, But boundaries that just kind of languish and go away are not boundaries that have been well-maintained. So you have to be intentional about maintaining them for the long haul. Well, and and there's been numerous episodes that, that we've, it just seems to be something that along with our identity in Christ boundaries seems to come up quite a bit. And it's, if you know yourself (laughs) and who you are in Christ and you are, you empower yourself to set boundaries, you're going to free yourself to engage with the world in a healthy way. That is that more abundant life that, that Christ calls us to. I need, I need to put that on a tweet or something. That might be more than 160 <laughs> characters. <laughs> I think a lot of times people look at boundaries and because they do cause conflict, they they can cause conflict at first. Like you said, commonly people are a little reactive when you redefine those roles. Um, I think they get they get pegged as being unkind. And so boundaries are not unkind. And I think if we can, and so also people will say they're unbiblical. I think it's also because you're saying, if we were really like Christ, we would let everyone in. You know, he he went to everyone, and he didn't um, he didn't exclude anyone. And so we should never do that either. I th- I think one way to look at it, and just you you said it really well, Ryan. I just wonder if sometimes it's helpful for people to understand that boundaries are good for both parties. Because a lot of times when you're setting a boundary, you're also ending a relationship role that it has been enabling the other person to pursue an addiction, to pursue abusive behavior towards you. So um, I've explained it to people before like this. When you set a boundary with someone who's treating you like you have no value, like you have no worth, um, that is going to cause a little bit of conflict. But it's actually good for both of you. What you're saying to that other person is, I love you enough to not enable this behavior anymore. And I love me enough to also, and that's not like this kind of, 
I don't know, this this unbiblical self-love that the world wants to tell us. It's just saying, I see that I am made in the image of God and that in order to live freely and wholly in what he has called me to be and live out, there is another way. And so let's put this boundary in place that allows both of us to pursue the help that we need, the healing that we need. If I have been your your doormat, then you're going to go find some help because this is going to rock your world. So it it actually helps that other party as well. It's not just a selfish thing. Boundaries are not selfish. They're good for both parties. And if it is something that isn't necessarily edifying for both people, you may need to look at that boundary with a professional that makes it so it's not just a reaction, but something that is beneficial. Well, and Ryan, I want you to go a little deep, bit deeper on, on a concept with this because we talked about a little bit of pushback you might get, but I, I know we mentioned somewhere, it might've been at conference in, in what you talked about or, or another episode you've been on, which by the way, guys, if you want more on boundaries, just go back through uh, the episodes of Grace Story Podcast, listen to anything Ryan has been on because uh, it usually involves yeah. something around boundaries. You can also listen to episode 13 with Dr. Rick Butts. Um, he's a licensed mm-hmm. professional counselor on his episode, Healing Our Core Issues, Birthrights and Boundaries. And then also, if you want to hear part of Ryan's talk at conference on boundaries, episode 18 uh, is highlights from where he talked at uh, Grace Story Conference 2020 on this. But Ryan, what what can we expect about re- around the the topic of redefining relationships based on how they react to us setting up boundaries? Because mm-hmm. w- theoretically, maybe not theoretically, but we we could lose relationships over this. What yeah. what can it be like? We talked about that in in loss and grief. Uh, what are some yeah. ways to to help prepare ourselves as we set up boundaries, and what can we expect in relationship changes? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. So I'll hit a few things that come up for me as I read over these questions and, and move a level deeper. One, whenever you set a boundary, as I said, it is common for people to react and pay attention to that reaction because when they get angry or vitriolic or push you away, you've kind of just found the edge of the boundary of their respect for you. And that can be really hard to face because there's some disillusionment that happens. Like, wow, I thought we were closer than this, or this is really all it took for the ending or this wedge in the relationship. And that can be really unsettling. The thing to remember is is that your setting of that boundary isn't the, it may have been the activating event, but it's not what built that. It just revealed what was already there. And that's hard to come to grips with, but that's the reality of it. Uh, And Nate, you mentioned this earlier, but a layer deeper is people have a really hard time setting boundaries when either they have a very weak sense of identity, they don't know who they are, or that identity is very uh, less than. They feel like they don't have a right. They're They're not valuable enough to set boundaries for themselves. And that's one of the really beautiful things about healing is you start learning to find your voice and ask for what you need and want in a relationship. And that often looks like setting boundaries. And the people who, I'll put it this way, are edifying in your life. They speak life into you. Not that they won't have a hard time hearing those hard words and those hard conversations, but they will respect them. And they will understand why that is necessary for you and your healing. The people who become very reactive and push you away, that's more of a reflection of them than it is you. And it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Some people are really good at making you feel like this is all you and this is all your fault. But the reality of it is it's a reflection of their capacity to give other people space to really be who they are and to stay within their own boundaries. And you, you, I mean, it sounds like you're talking more about it's less about losing relationships as much as that would be felt. Uh, and, and you're going to have to process mm-hmm. through the grief of that. It's more about finding out and realizing what my relationships really are. So it's, 
am I, am yeah. I ready to face reality? Yeah. I like to use the word clarifying. It clarifies the status of relationships. Yeah. And, and what you mentioned on, on the, the self-esteem or the self-worth part, I know we dug really deep into that in episode 11 with you mm-hmm. on the ups and downs of self-esteem. So if you want to yeah. dig deeper on that, um, that, that really goes into our identity as well. While we're on this topic of uh, boundaries, I want to jump up to some questions where some people gave some good examples of of what uh, what, what boundaries has looked like in their life. Um, so there's one here, uh, top of the page. I have finally set boundaries with my father, who continues to be verbally abusive and controlling. Even though I am married a, a married adult with grown kids, we have tried to set boundaries to avoid these difficult situations. However, he ignores the guidelines we set. It seems somewhat disingenuous to say you have to stop trying to rule my life while at the same time saying we are removing ourselves from your life until you seek professional counseling. What am I to do? And this really goes along with with uh, the question Amber brought up as well. How do we avoid bearing the responsibility of others' negative feelings or taking them on as our own? So, Ryan, I'm going to shoot that over to you to, to start with. The, the boundaries with the father, this whole uh, scenario here from a counseling perspective, they come into your office, they mm-hmm. say, this is my dad. This is what we've been through. This is where we're at. I don't know. Is it disingenuous for me to set these boundaries and take him out of my life? Or do we need a relationship? Or I, It's so messy. Where do I start with this? There's no easy or simple answer to that. I tend to say, first of all, identify what it is that you need to thrive. And if And let that be kind of the determination of how far out that boundary needs to be set in order to keep yourself safe. So if that means that there's going to be very limited interaction, then that's what it's going to have to be for now. And then you can evaluate over time, is this, has this boundary been respected? If the answer is yes, then perhaps you can entertain a conversation where you consider moving that boundary closer. So you let that person in a little bit further. And you slowly, as that person honors that boundary, move closer and closer and closer. But you got to start with identifying who am I and what do I need? Uh, it sounds like there's going to be yeah, a lot what? of self-reflection there. And Amber, I want to yeah. pose this to you with that because there's a disingenuous part of that. How do you going, going through, uh, how does one going through this process of setting boundaries uh, not feel like a fraud when you, when you go to change those boundaries and reset them with somebody else? It's very dynamic. Yeah. And I think um, when I was doing my processing, one of the things I also wanted to say about that was that we've talked so far about setting boundaries for someone who is actively um, maybe treating you wrong. I just put it like that. There was also a time in my processing when I went back to look at childhood trauma where I had to set some boundaries because I was going back to look at stories and Um, events that had significantly impacted where I am today. And um, so even though maybe my parents were not actively now as an adult doing any of that kind of stuff, I mean, we had a actually pretty great relationship at that point. But because I was open in my processing, um, I needed some space to be able to truly go back and process those stories. Um, one of the things, so so boundaries have lots of purposes. There's, there's, it's not just being set because someone is bad. Um, they, they really are to keep you safe. And I love the word that Ryan used, to help you thrive. Um, they have the best of intentions. There's just so much... Um, stereotype around boundaries that that we have collected over the years or, or whatever what the culture has given it, that this is a negative thing that we're doing. It actually is for the best of intentions. Um, during that time, though, so with this speci- specific question about boundaries with the father, um, now that was not my case, but there was a time when I was going through my processing and I did have to set some boundaries because those stories were open. And um, during that time, though, I was still biblically mandated to honor my parents. And I wrestled with that. How do I set these boundaries that keep me healthy, keep me safe, allow me to do the processing I need to do, 
but also honor my parents? And that is a question I get a lot, Nate. How do you honor your parents when you're setting boundaries that may even exclude them for a season? And for me, it looked like I knew my dad liked banana bread. And so even if even during a season when I wasn't necessarily going home and seeing them in person, um, I would send things that allowed them to know I was still thinking about them, that I still appreciated. There were, there's usually something you can be grateful for um, that you can tap into. Sometimes there is not, and I understand that. Um, but if there is something, I, I heard another story, I was on Focus on the Family, a woman who endured incredible abuse as a child. When she was going through her processing, she said there was one event in her whole childhood before she left home that she could tap into, and that was they lived in Florida. And her dad had at one point, some sometime in there, um, got a snowmaker, and she came out one morning around Christmas, and he had put snow in the lawn. And she said, other than that, I have no positive memories of growing up. So she tapped into that. So if there's, if there's something, did your dad provide for you? Maybe he was absent, but you can be grateful for provision. Um, it's okay to be true. You don't have to be gushy. You don't have to be, again, disingenuous with the things you write or the, things you, the ways you try to honor them. It's okay to be true. You can say, thank you for choosing life for me. Sometimes it has boiled down to that. Thank you for choosing life. Um, so those boundaries, that, just to come back to, there's, there are ways to honor your parents, even when, because we never want to throw them under the bus. We're hoping that they will do their own journey at some point as well. And you want to make the journey process look as beautiful as you can, because what we're doing is becoming restored into the image of Christ. So the farther we go in our process, yes, it's messy. It can be lonely. It is incredibly difficult. But what it is doing, it should be doing. Oh, there's that word should. Maybe we shouldn't use that. <laughs> um, one of the things it it does is it allows us to, to the more tools we get under our, our, you know, in our tool bag, as you call it, the more we can um, enhance, we can become um, healthy enough to start handling things with that mature response mm -hmm. where we can say, this is really difficult and mm -hmm. there's this. Yeah. So the both and yeah. scenario, I can set boundaries and I can honor my parents. It's difficult to do that. And I believe that this pleases Christ. Yeah. I fully agree with that. And I think the way you articulated that was, was spot on. It sparked something in my mind too. Um, the belief that setting boundaries, somehow you are being cruel or you're being mean and an appropriate boundary setting, that's simply not the case. Because when you're setting boundaries, it doesn't mean you're doing it through clenched teeth or raised fist. Right. You can do it calmly. You can do it kindly. Yeah. You can do it in a way that causes the least amount of pain to the other person. Yeah. So this happens less frequently, but sometimes I have seen boundaries attempt to be weaponized, where you use boundaries as a way of trying to cause harm to other people. And that's not the intent of boundaries. That's never what it's really about. Because as Amber indicated earlier, that's not going to be beneficial for you or them. Boundaries that um, are appropriate allow you to thrive. They don't, they no longer enable uh, inappropriate behavior in other people. And when you, let me dig down on that piece for just one quick second. When you are enabling someone else to continue their inappropriate behavior, maybe that's their rageaholic and they just rage nonstop and are left unchecked or addiction. It could be a variety of things. When you're doing that, that's actually disempowering them from their own journey. Mm -hmm. When you set a boundary, it actually empowers them because it forces them to make a decision. What am I going to do with this now that this boundary is in place and I can no longer continue in this inappropriate behavior. That's what maybe you call it boundaries properly understood. Like that's what the intent is. They're not intended to be weaponized in a way that pushes people away uh, without any kind of appropriate intention behind it. It's intended to be a way to uh, even if, if there is a way forward in the relationship, boundaries have to be a part of that picture. Maybe I'll put it that way. And so when you set that healthy boundary, 
uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the relationship is over. In fact, it could actually mean that there's a potential for that relationship to continue. Nate, back to the question you asked a little bit earlier, is it hypocritical to change your boundaries? I think you have to give your, I have had to give myself permission to do it messy. Um, anytime we're learning a new skill, we're going to um, mess that up a little bit. Now, hopefully you have someone, a professional licensed counselor or very strong support system that is going to help you in making and setting those boundaries. Um, but I, I think there have been times when I've done the messy and maybe overset a boundary in the attempt to like, wow, I'm so empowered. I, I, you know, I, I can take care of myself and I overset this boundary of I'm allowed to say no, this newfound freedom and saying no to things and understanding that that pendulum is, is going to get a little more balanced. The, the more you practice it, the more you understand. And so it's okay to do it messy but also have the humility to understand that you're on this journey. And the people around you are very real people too. Even those that have hurt you, they do have their own story. We're not excusing behavior, but they're also trying to catch up to this new boundary that you set and this new role that you've, mm -hmm. you've changed on them. And so there's very real emotions on the other side as well. Mm -hmm. And so just the humility to understand I'm, I'm doing this for the best intentions, knowing our goals, same reason about writing the letter. These are the same things that we address when we're, mm -hmm. when we're setting boundaries. We want to know our goals in setting this boundary. Am I doing this because now I finally can and so I'm setting it. You know, we don't, that's not really, mm -hmm. it can be the heart behind it, but um, that's not the healthiest place. Mm -hmm. So just understanding yeah. that's kind of where that messy may come in. Well, and I, I want to camp out here just for a, a few more minutes because we do have a couple more questions on this and I'm going to merge a couple of them. But before moving on, I think it's important to understand with the boundaries, we are not responsible for the way the other person reacts or the way the other person is acting. Those, those are their actions that they are right. responsible for. We can only right. control and are responsible for what we do, the boundaries we set, how we enforce them and not weaponizing our own. Uh, and that kind of spirit goes, with which we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause God yeah, understands yeah. our intent, it. whether others, uh, catch the, uh, passive aggression or not. Um, but there's a, <laughs> a question here on the same vein, but how do you maintain boundaries without pushing people away? And there's a question similar to it, but with, with an example in it. Um, and it's, uh, the writer says this, I have a neighbor that really needs some mental health help. Uh, don't, don't we all know one? If you don't know one, it might be you. Um, <laughs> she is often depressed and will come over and talk for hours about her past trauma and her hopelessness. I listen, but I'm not sure how to help her. Is there a nice way to let her know that she may need to go to someone else that can actually help more than listen? And coupling that with how do you maintain boundaries without pushing people away um, Ryan, with this whole instance, how does a person like that set a boundary with their neighbor that they want to help? They think they need help. They understand they need help, but they want to set a boundary without making it a, a mm -hmm. push away moment for that person that it seems like it's an intimate relationship right now. Yeah, it is sticky in moments like that. And the first place my mind goes when I heard that is that person who keeps coming over is getting something out of that experience. Just having someone hear your story is cathartic. You know, they feel, they feel a little bit better when they leave. Is that enough to bring lasting change? Probably not, at least not from what this person's telling us. And so helping that neighbor understand, Hey, I want to be in your corner and I want to help, but I also recognize that you seem to be in the same place that you were however long ago when these conversations started. And, I think there's a better way of living. I think there's a relief because what you seem to be in right now is kind of a tolerable level of misery. And I want you to be above that. I want you to thrive. So let's partner together to find a way to get you some help beyond what I'm capable of. Because even though my heart is to see you healthy and whole and thriving, I just don't have the, the knowledge or the skills to get you there, but I will walk with you through it. Well, even what Cesar Perez said, um, about having the tough conversations with his kids. They would still love him and come back the next day. They may leave crying. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and that may be the case. They may leave saying, I thought you were my friend. I thought you were here for me. And then they leave. But when you keep showing up, they'll know you're there for them, but you're not going to allow yourself to be a Band-Aid for a problem that has an actual salve, an, an actual solution. Well, and speaking of messy, uh, here's another question that's, that's kind of messy. How do you respond to the blame of your partner? who feels hurt when you go outside the home, outside of the relationship for help and perspective on things that are happening within the home. What do you think, Ryan? Speaking of messes. (laughs) (laughs) That is tricky. And I would, so putting my clinical hat on for just a second, when I heard that question, I thought, wow, it sounds like that partner's taken a lot of responsibility for the well-being of the other person when you can't be open to that person receiving help outside of you. So I would look for, is there codependence under the surface that really needs to be looked at there? Is there insecurity? Like, what's the reason for the hesitancy? Um, But that piece aside, like, what would be the nuts and bolts of how would you actually seek help outside of that? And I'm going to tap into a little bit of what I said before, which is, hey, I know that you have a heart for me to thrive. And I also know that your skill set lies in a different area. You haven't spent three years going to school and gone through extra training to help me figure out how to really thrive at this season of my life, but I really do need you in my corner. I, I really want you in my corner as I move through this healing journey. So even if I seek professional help outside of the relationship, can you stand by me? Will you walk with me through this? And so that way the person still feels like they're wanted, they're desired, which is truly reflective of your heart, but also recognizes that the reality is that's not where, that's not where their profession lies. And it's okay to seek, just like you were seeking out any kind of, uh, other medical, uh, advice. If you have diabetes or you have high blood pressure, you know, that's, it would be more than your spouse's capacity to be able to address that issue for you, you're going to go to a doctor. And sometimes we bring things into the relationship that predate our partner's entrance into our lives. And it's okay to seek out the appropriate level of care for that need. Well, and it would seem like it'd be more comfortable to, uh, to, to keep things in house, keep them hidden, uh, covered. But like we said, things, healing doesn't happen in hiding. Um, mm-hmm. it's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> and setting mm-hmm. boundaries are going to be uncomfortable with pushback, but you're only responsible for your actions and, and what you mm-hmm. do. Amber, do you have something on this? Yeah. I'd say also to understand that, um, like what Ryan said, seeking professional help is part of this. Um, th- I think when we start feeling empowered on this journey, like I can set boundaries, I can get the help. I know my needs and wants. And we start feeling very empowered. And sometimes for the first time, maybe in our entire lives, we feel that sense of empowerment. Like I have a right to do this. And we start claiming our rights. Um, Part of this is not just under, okay, let me rephrase this. Part of understanding, yes, you have rights, you have needs and wants. But that doesn't mean that you suddenly get to empower your whole prayer chain and every single friend. And <laughs> so there is a sense that you, where you can understand a spouse being concerned about who all are you telling your story to now and, and that feeling unsafe. So both sides, back to the there's, there's people on the other side of this, real people when you set boundaries. And so getting and confiding in someone who can do something about it not just relieve the Band-Aid, you know, being that Band-Aid listener. Now, we need support system that isn't just professional. Every professional say, I, I hope you have a support system at home. Um, so a support system is vital. Um, I do believe you need somebody that can do this journey with you, whether it is your spouse or a friend, um, but maybe just not every yes. single person that you run into. Like yes. being able to keep that story a little bit contained as you're going through it, because it is messy and you do. I mean, sometimes things come up at the most random times and Mm -hmm. then you just, you know, if you start learning that there is a certain, um, oh, just like salve to that wound when you share it. 
And mm-hmm. so then, then just to stand up and testify and be like, wow, this came up and I'm, you know, or I, I need you to help pray about it. And at, you know, Wednesday night, whatever your small group, like there may be a time where you need to just journal and write that down and bring that in mm-hmm. to your next appointment. Mm-hmm. It may mean you have one or two friends that know you're getting the help you need. And so they're okay with you spilling every now and again. And being that voice of truth and back, well, it does sound like, you know, that validation mm-hmm. that you need, but just not maybe two, five, six, seven friends. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think we're at a point where we're going to be able to pop in just one more question, kind of along this same vein. We have more questions than, than we uh, could get to today. So we're going to have to have another mailbag episode um, to get to. So if you want your question to be on the next episode, uh, that we have where there's mailbag questions with Amber and Ryan, um, send that into Nate at greatstoryministries.com and we'll try to get that on the show next time. A lot of questions coming in. Um, so we'll, we'll want to mesh that in the next time. So here's, here's a question that I want to uh, get answered before we go though. Um, my siblings do not agree that our family has a problem big enough to quote, make a stink about there. They would rather, uh, I just forget the whole thing, forgive and forget. I often get guilt tripped into doing something I know is not within the healthy boundaries I have set. How do I acknowledge that my siblings are at a different place than me while still holding to what I need to do a lot there to unpack. Ryan, why don't you start with it? Fantastic question. There are a lot of nuances to that question, so I'm going to speak a little more broadly, but please understand that this may be something that you really need a strong support system to walk with you through because there's so many nuances that I can kind of pick up under the surface there. So let me start off very generally. You have the right to define boundaries for you. Your siblings, parents don't have the right to do that for you. And when they do that, they're overstepping their own boundaries. So just because someone else doesn't get your boundaries doesn't make it invalid. And it could very well be a reflection of their own journey. And let me answer that second piece of it. Uh, I think the question was, how do I still acknowledge that they're in different places of the journey? One, you can just do that and saying, hey, I understand that you don't get this right now and you don't have to. I can't force that on you and wouldn't but this is what I need. And if you respect this relationship with me, if you respect who I am, then this is something that I'm going to need to be honored. And if they can't do that, as I said before, that's an indication of where the respect for you ends. And that can be really hard to face, disillusionment, unsettling, hurtful. But it didn't make it happen. It just switched the light on and showed what was already there. So it's important to, to keep that piece of it in, in mind. It's okay whenever someone continues to disrespect boundaries to say, hey, there, there will be consequences if these boundary violations happen. Kathy Sprinkle, who uh, spoke at conference last year and I think is speaking again this coming year, has a great- yeah, She'll be here on day two. Awesome. Uh, she's fantastic. She's a great quote that I stole from her, which is, a uh, a boundary without a consequence is just a suggestion. And so oh, I there, love that. Yeah. So there have to be, for continued boundary violations, there has to be some kind of felt impact for that or else the person's not going to stop. And so having someone, again, we keep, we keep going back here because community is so essential. Having someone in your corner that you can brainstorm with and say, what are appropriate consequences here? Am I crazy for setting this this boundary right. and them saying, no, this is reasonable? Because one thing that happens within really all family systems is it's all you know. It's right. normal. Right. And so it's only when you have someone from the outside saying, wow, that's really atypical, that you feel, oh, I knew this felt wrong, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy, am I? Nope. This is This is pretty atypical. You need that outside perspective that comes from having safe community around you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, all we have time for. Again, if you, we're going to have another mailbag 
episode in the future. If you want your question to be on there in an anonymous fashion, of course, uh, send that message at, uh, as much as you want to add in there to Nate at GraceStoryMinistries.com. We'll have that on there. Uh, we've mentioned a few things in this podcast, but before we go down a little list, I want to thank you, Ryan, for being on here, and thank you, Amber, for being on to answer a lot of the questions from the community. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolute honor. Yeah, love it. Now, before you go, we have a few things we'd like for you to do. One, if you want to come to Gray Story Conference and and meet Amber, meet Ryan, talk to them in person, meet Kathy Sprinkle, uh, talk to Rosie McKinney, who's coming this year, the people that you hear on the podcast, go ahead and go to graystoryministries.com, uh, click on uh, conference there, and you can go ahead and get registered and make your plans to be with us in November in Cincinnati. Uh, if you are not a part of the Grace Story community on Facebook, we've talked a lot about how we need to have that community, that support, people to hear us. It's a closed group. It's a safe group uh, where you can come in and just join it and uh, then answer a couple questions, uh, which includes uh, we need to know your email uh, so we can get a hold of you and, and go ahead and answer that and you'll be in the group. Um, other than that, just if you like this episode, if you love what's happening at Grace Story Podcast, Go ahead and, uh, and and please share it with others. Post about it on social media. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Um, you can click uh, the link on whatever you're listening on and send it in a text uh, and continue to grow the Gray Story community. That is all we have for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with more for you from Gray Story Podcast. Until then... I hope that you'll continue on your journey of restoration. You're not alone. We're right here with you. And so is the God of the universe. So keep on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two more weeks for more from Grace Story Podcast. Until then, we'll be praying for you.